Hi, this is Joseph Arthur. Thanks for checking out Come to Where I'm From. Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash come to where I'm from. We are an independent podcast, and any contributions you can make are greatly appreciated. Um, yeah, the first time, the fir- the, how I met Toshi was through that John video shoot for the classic uh, that all of us did outside of the Flatiron building uh, years ago. So that's where we met. Yeah. And right. then With Reggie, Reggie and Reggie Stephanie and Michelle, yeah. Yeah, okay. That nice, was crazy. Nice to meet you again. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then uh, I just remember you were crazy. Right. Who hey, was? Well, oh, I yeah. filmed the video and we were doing like, it was like we had like 20 minutes yeah. to bust it out. Yeah, and he was just like, okay, get in the line, get in line. I forgot you did that. Me yeah. too, until I <laughs> remembered. That's funny. Yeah, and then some guys started filming us us filming the video and everybody was freaking out and you were just like, whatever. <laughs> that I don't remember. <laughs> you were just like, hurry up, hurry up. He's quick. Yeah. Yeah. No, that video is awesome, too. I just saw it the other day. That was fun. Yeah. Right is on. it on YouTube? Yeah. How many views does it have? I don't know. Lots, though. <laughs> oh, it does? Yeah. Uh, Jonas Jones Police Woman. She's a big star, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you been playing with her at all? No, she, uh, we do, like, some gigs together, and then I do this uh, festival um, in September, and we do a big concert at Le Poison Rouge. Uh-huh. And she's done it every single year. It's in its ninth year. Yeah. Yeah, and she comes in and blasts it, like, every year, so. That's cool. What's yeah. the festival called? Word Rock Sword, a festival exploration of women's lives. It's, like, eight days. Word Rock Sword. Sword. A festival exploration of women's lives. Where'd you get that title, Word Rock Sword? Um, It just seemed to, like, encompass what we're going to do. But also there's, like, all these like sister this and you know women that names and i wanted to uh more address kind of the the spirit and the action uh-huh. so it felt like an activated phrase now we just say word rock sword word do- rocks it reminds me of like uh this game yeah that's what that's what people do they go word rock sword oh, okay <laughs> yeah. yes <laughs> that's really that's cool word yeah. rock sword yeah huh is it rock as in like stone or rock as in rock and roll? Rock is whatever, whatever it evokes wanted, in the whatever people. Whatever you want it to be. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, uh, and you're ad- adapting something for a musical right now, huh? Oh, we've adapted. Um, oh, you already did that? Yeah, we already did. We did a, um, Octavia Butler's, um, uh, has uh, two books. Um, she has a lot of books, but we worked with, her books, uh, Parable of the Sower and Parable of the Talents. Parable of the Sower, like yeah. Sower of Seeds. Kind exactly. Of thing. And exactly. Parable of the what? Talents. Talents. Yeah. What are those about? Um, they're about the what's happening to us right now. But she wrote um, Parable of the Sower, came out in 93. Uh-huh. And she kind of looked forward to the year 2024. Wow. And was like, you know, this is where we're going to be in 2024 and it's um it's uh about 20 miles outside of LA in a made up suburb called Roblado and um things are pretty awful um if you just we continue doing what we're doing we'll be there pretty soon right um you know water scarcity um you know environmental crises uh yeah government like homelessness is crazy in LA like homelessness refugees yeah um, government 
you know, return to slavery, return to indentured servitude, um, lack of social services, education, you name it, it's going on. And and so uh, she has a 15-year-old girl named Lauren Olamina, Mm -hmm. and her family is is in a self-made walled community, Mm -hmm. basically upper middle class uh, community where they walled themselves in, like in a Mm cul-de-sac. And put a big lock on the gate and was like, okay, we'll just like, you know, huddle up in here um, and only go out if we have to. And uh, doing that, she was like, this isn't sustainable. Um, And her father's a a Baptist preacher. And she was like, I don't, you know, his God is not mine. Mm -hmm. And uh, she created her own belief system called Earthseed. And Earthseed is, uh, believes that God is change. Mm-hmm. And that change is the only lasting truth. Mm-hmm. And then she builds a community and, you know, you got to go read the book. But <laughs> it's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. It's, um, how does it end up? I'm not going to tell you how it Spoil- ends up. <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> no, spoiler I just want to know how this is going to end up. <laughs> well, she's been pretty accurate. So the, uh, the whole way that. Um, is it optimistic? No, you know, it's, it's up to us. You know, mm-hmm. the idea is that you um, have to have to be an active participant in the systems that you live in and that yeah. they are ever changing. And that the idea that you can, like, stay in the same position and then think like something is going to change is bananas. So no, the world w- is moving so fast right yeah. now and human consciousness is expanding and the things yeah. that we're talking about is expanding. Yeah. You know. Yeah, so it's it's that um, you're trying to have a sameness is not going to work. Mm. So, uh, and yeah. as you say, as things are changing all the time, um, you are to uh, shape the change that you want to see. You have to activate inside of it. And, um, and you know, that's difficult for a lot of humans. So Yeah, well, um, it's scary. It's scary, difficult, necessary. Um, and... Uh, and that you see this, these, these, uh, you know, power holders, um, you know, evoking uh, hatred everywhere right. and making like the values be around, well, how much profit we have and willing to destroy anything to have it. It's really up to uh, the masses of awesome people on the planet to really participate in mm-hmm. um you know, I think um, divesting from some of the systems that we have that are harming yeah. us. But she's been very um, accurate. So if you Google Octavia Butler right now, you'll see articles where they're like, "Uh oh, like <laughs> she's right on time." Right. And, uh, she had a president in her books that says, "Make America Great Again." For real? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. No, she's she's on it. She is on it. So she's kind of like Nostradamus sort of vibes. She thinks prediction is easy and she doesn't think it's like that big a deal. She thinks if you're honest and you look at where you are and you take you think about the steps forward, you can say what's going to happen next. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, she sort of proved it, I guess. She sure did. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I think it's like, too, it's like more and more people need to go inward as well. Like there's a lot of focus on external and sort of outrage and all that kind of stuff, which I get Mm -hmm. and is important. But also I think people need to like 
go inward and find their own in, inner power to then shine their inner light deeply and then inspire others in that way as well. You know, what, what do you think? Um, well, me and my tribe of wonderfulness, I mean, there's, it's, I don't see a separation between the two. You know, between, between the two, what the outward and the inward. Oh I, right. Yeah, they're like one circle to me. Mm-hmm. And you don't I, think there's external distractions that keep people from going within? There's internal distractions and and external distractions that keep people from going within. You yeah. know, you have, you have to deal with yourself. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, for a lot of people, that's the hardest person to deal with. Is themselves. Uh, yeah. yeah. And they wake up in yeah. the morning and they don't like themselves and wake Look, up in the morning and don't like where they are. That's what I mean. Yeah. So that's that's yeah. about you and yourself and your inner right. choices that you make about your life. Yeah. I think a lot of times people use the external, though, as a way of avoiding that stuff. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, for me, it's, it's you know, there's one Toshi yeah. on the planet, that Toshi vegan on the planet. Um, this is my opportunity to live and breathe. I, I yeah. can't live and breathe without being an external and internal person simultaneously. Yeah. 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 So wh- how did the musical adaptation of that parable of the sower play out? Like what um, did you guys put it on? We debuted it in uh, 2017. Oh, okay. We did, uh, we did workshops um, and who came in and filmed our first workshop, thank God. <laughs> Otherwise, we would have no representation of it. And uh, we were, we did like a few of those. They were like uh, concerts because um, the whole it's an opera. The whole thing is sung. It's huh. no it's no text that's spoken. That's wild. And um, and then we debuted in 2017 in Abu Dhabi at um, NYU Abu Dhabi um, Art Center. And then the U.S. debut was at Carolina Performing Arts. And New York debut was at the Public Theater. And then we just been scooching around the country. Slowly, slowly, um, we go to L.A. next March and Boston next March. And uh-huh. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, it's cool. What's the difference touring something like that compared to like just touring your own music is there much of a difference oh my god incredibly different it's hugely different like i've you know had bands my whole career big lovely yeah yeah and then uh when we started this i just kind of treated it like oh you know now i have this is my band yeah like i have 15 singers (laughs) (laughs) right and when we're doing workshops that was kind of the structure but um once we were like okay this is really going to happen then you get like costume designer and a set designer mm-hmm. and you have your director and then your producers and then a production manager and a line producer and it's all of a sudden it just swells to this humongous si- uh, 50 size 50 people type yeah, of thing like. it's it's immense yeah yeah it's a lot it's a lot you know and then uh we went right to big halls you know so we debuted in this beautiful theater with 700 seats and then we got the Carolina Performing Arts, it's 1,400 seats. And then we just did um, the O'Shaughnessy in St. Paul's, 1,800 seats. <laughs> like, we were just, I was like, oh, my God, all these people are coming. So for theater, those are, like, big venues. Th- um, that is big. How, yeah. do you, how do you promote something like that, like, to get the word out? Um, well, in the book, um, you know, uh, she shows this 
uh, basically path of refugees. People are leaving and trying to, you know, get somewhere else that's less dangerous. And um, and that path is really hard and difficult in the book. And so my idea was like, why not do the path now? Like why, like do it now when we have some resources and where so many people are activating across um, issues that are in a book, which is pretty much everything. Mm -hmm. So a lot of universities have presented it. And so that gives you access to faculty, students and community. Um, and so I built residencies leading up to each of the performances. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not really to promote the show. It's to gather around the show to address issues that mm-hmm. are in the book and in the communities we go to. Mm. Um, and so the show becomes a belly button and yeah. almost like this place where we have a meeting. I love that. But all of these things happen before and after. And yeah. then all of these communities um, come together in different ways. Um, That's with, interesting. Yeah. That's like purpose-driven motivation. <laughs> exactly. Instead of just like about your ego or this or that, it's like the 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 art becomes, yeah, like, a, like you called it a belly button. Yeah. Like that's a good way to put it. Like yeah. It, so... From there, uh, a whole movement can spring forward and you can, you know, yeah, evoke real cultural change. Yeah. And all of these people, I mean, these books are very famous. Um, They have their own people, you know, lots of people. They have their own following. They have their own following. Octavia Butler is like considered the godmother or mother of Afrofuturism. and. Uh this idea that um, all of her books, there are all kinds of beings in them, but there's always black people in them. Right. And so this idea that we're in the future and that we actually can be expansive in the universe. And um, and so that has led to just, you know, there's lots of artists that do work around her work and around the work of people like her who who are writing and and doing work in this, you know, speculative fiction genre. And um, and so it's very easy to walk into a community and say, hey, I'm, you know, my name is Toshi. Um, I'm bringing Parable of the Sower, the opera to this, commu- opera to this community. Does anybody want to work with me on a path? And it's always a big giant yes. And the presenters themselves, um, lots of them are very brave. They commit a lot of money and resources. And, um, but they want to evoke a conversation in their own communities or on their campuses and so it's a great uh, collaboration between a lot of different kinds of institutional structures that people are not used to having work together. Mm, that's cool. Yeah. Has there been any like significant stories about people like you seeing people's consciousness shift as a result of this work? Yeah, I mean, mostly people already done shifted by the time they walk into the room you know <laughs> yeah, like they you're preaching to the yeah, choir to some degree you or? know you just the people are very concerned and if they studied octavia's work and a lot of these like for example at the um university of north carolina they gave me a fellowship and the fellowship is specifically designed to have artists work with um faculty and then community practitioners that faculty want to work with Mm -hmm. and they kind of build this like triangle um and it's through the presenters right it's through carolina performing arts Mm -hmm. and so they are like you know uh here we have these genius faculty members who have a lot of information and what are the ways their information can be shared you know 
um, and what are the ways they can be impacted by their community. Um, so, right, that's already a, a kind of a woke idea. But then, like, you know, I come in and say, well, like, really, what does that look like? You know, um, so if you have people who are, um, you know, uh, studying different things around water in that community. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so now they can actually collaborate with some of the people who are activists around issues of the environment. And a lot of the faculty are already in these groups. And so you just, you just start to see um, all kinds of things happen. We did a lot of work around that. We did, um, and it's ongoing. So we did like a gigantic uh, city read of the book from one of the groups, uh, Spirit House, that uses um, uh, books to help teach their community to create a harm-free zone and to teach their community that um, they can solve their own problems. That, right. you know, the first call when there's a problem doesn't need to go to be the police, yeah. which is dangerous for their community. So right. they're like, but we're going to read together, you know. And so one of their books was Parable of the Sower, and then we supported that, um, and a faculty member um, on campus brought us all together. So that's, it's, it's just that kind of work. And then it just gets expansive, expansive, expansive. And by the end of the year, I just had a, a beautiful circle of practitioners, faculty, students, and we recreated the first half of the opera, uh-huh. but instead of actors, and we used them. Wow. And then they each spoke from their genius, and then we sang kind of spoke from their genius what do you you mean just their expertise yeah yeah what they knew yeah and but they're all different you know right it was it was amazing what do you mean like they they didn't recite the lines or no no they 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 spoke they adapted the vibe of the story but within their own they uh, basically fields of expertise exactly Okay. Yeah. So it did, that's, it was That's really like kind of yeah, it's hard to get your head around. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and then it was, you know, it was free and then all of these people came and it was it was beautiful. So and then we had I had So you're bringing band. community together. Yeah. to uh to um elicit change and uh, and awareness. Exactly. And progress. Gr- yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Good on you. <laughs> <laughs> well, like when Keep going. When somebody says Toshi Regan, to me, like what you just described, you bringing people together and caring and community and environment and mm-hmm. people's rights is everything you're, you've always been about. Yeah. Um, but as far as the parable, what were the growing pains to get it from the minute you read it to where you are today? I mean, it wasn't so painful because when we read it... Um, that was like the 90s, 97 or something is the first time my mom and I worked on it. Your mom gave you the idea to do it or did she, no, did she, she give you the book? We gave each other the book because we we're already Octavia Butler fans. So we gave each other a book for Christmas. Oh, when it came out? Yeah. And it was both the same book? <laughs> we bought the same book, yeah. That's funny. Yeah, and we gave... Did y'all the, laugh? When we cracked up because we both opened... <laughs> we saw the, the, the wrapping. Great minds. Yeah, and we knew. We knew we had done it. So yeah. it was hysterical. But she... Um, yeah, but she was really busy at the time, and we taught a, a course at Princeton together for Toni Morrison, mm-hmm. and it needed a, a text. We were teaching, like, music, but you needed to ground it in a text, and then she was like, let's use Parable and Sower, which I actually hadn't read yet because it scared me when I when I first opened it, and I was like, that's for later. 
Um, Why? It's scary. It's a scary book. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful. I want to read it, man. You should read yeah, it. I'm it's an incredible, it. yeah. incredible book. But it's, you know, in 90, what, seven? It was like, oh, no way. This can happen. Yeah. And, and now I'm like, oh, my God, it's happening. So yeah. it's it's challenging. Um, but once you get in it, you can't put it down. And you. I guess it's a different read if you read it today than if you read yeah. it in 97. It's completely different. You know, like I remember when we were teaching the class, like the, some of the, the um, folks were mad, you know, because it was like, there's this girl and she's making her own religion and and all, all these bad things are happening. And it's like 30 years from, from now. And it, it does, it just kind of piss you off because you're like, how, how can humans be this dumb? You know, like, how can they really, like, no, we need water and we need air. Like, how could you jeopardize? Like, how is, how is our whole economy wrapped around the value of money and not wrapped around the value of the things humans actually need to live? So it, you just, it just made everybody so mad and frustrated um, to see, like, that, that that could actually happen. And, you know. Are you optimistic about where things could go from here? Or are you, uh, are you uh, terrified about where they're going? Um, I'm not terrified. Um, I'm a very optimistic person. I mm-hmm. think you, <clears throat> you have a, a chance um, always every day to for greatness. But, you know, this isn't... Um, the humans play in catastrophe and destruction and um that's and an interesting concept yeah Hum- we, humans play in catastrophe that's a song yeah it is right <laughs> yeah that's a good lyric right there <laughs> you know, they do, but they <laughs> do and they always I mean, that's have a great opening line humans yeah. play in catastrophe yeah yeah and they how do. do you mean that um you know there is like well we have some like little iota of power or a gigantic amount of power and it's like what can you do with it you know well our systems are built to give power to the fewest amount of people possible and so you're you're invested in this like one person and then that one person makes an administration and then that administration has a focus based on the intentions of that one person Mm -hmm. and then this you know huge other body of people hover around it to benefit from it and that sounds messed up yeah (laughs) when she she puts it that way but you know i mean (laughs) i I wouldn't go for that (laughs) yeah fuck that just look at the history look at the the history of the world it's it's happened over and over again you know how did napoleon like there's this great map of like napoleon you know, it's always in schools and mm-hmm. high schools, and it's it's like yeah, when he took over the world. When and it's it's really long, mm-hmm. and then it shows like all of just Napoleon, yeah, just Napoleon, yeah. And you're like, how did they get like hundreds and thousands of people to follow him into like their deaths? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, you that's know. funny as follow hell, me dude. Napoleon. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. <laughs> You're that, on was it, it. Dude. that was uh. it. That was it. And and there's the the last one I think is Russia when he's like, you know, it's winter time and we're gonna mm-hmm. you know, and they show the how many people he started out with and then they show 
like well send these people over this way and then they show like this many people died here and mm -hmm. this many people died here and this many people like it was a terrible terrible idea yeah. you know like terrible idea and this is happened like over and over again yeah so this what that's we're why i get comfort though because it's always been total madness you know so in yeah. a way it's sort of like i just feel like we're resilient History will correct itself yeah that, that's how i no, feel no like. i mean that's I'm, that's not, not to say that we like no. lay back in the cut and just watch it happen that's not it good. corrects itself <laughs> because <laughs> it's not good that. no stop it stop it no mm. i'm not saying that means you're inactive it just means i feel like it means don't go into despair because that's not helpful i guess is the way i would put that well i mean i think despair um is reasonable in a lot of people's lives because they are um constantly being asked to be in painful situations and yeah. you're an emotional um mental physical being yeah. you know what happens to your body um what uh the ways that access to your body is taken away from so many people on the planet creates pain and despair. You mean, and like, how do you mean by that? I mean that if That's you are in jail, I mean, if you are hungry, I mean, if right. you are thirsty, yeah. if you healthcare. are being made to, fuck healthcare, if you're just I made mean, to be. If you don't have access to health. You don't have access to anything. I mean, it's the millions and millions of people on the planet mm -hmm. that do not have, um, you know the rights to their own bodies mm -hmm. and so all of that is is wrong and it's hundreds of years like we don't correct you know we we close the door we we go like this is an epic movement to shut down tyranny and violence and that epic m movement eventually wins but the transatlantic slave trade was hundreds of years mm -hmm. you know so like no that shit is not okay and this is not okay and there's no way for everybody no matter how beautiful and open and an inner peace you are to not feel the urgency of the massive like healing that needs to happen for mm. humans in order for humans to live on the earth the earth is the only one that's going to repair herself and mm. the earth always invigorates herself and the earth looks at climate change is like oh we're gonna be hotter like this now well let's see what we do but if humans want to live on the earth right like you know and they get over their fucking selves and get in line with the rest of the planet like what do you mean we're not the boss of the planet so what are you talking about what do you mean like <laughs> how, how do we get in line we have to we have look we're the most destructive force on the planet and we have to stop so we have to stop building things that destroy the planet we have to stop Oper our value systems have to shift right you know like i say our value system can't just be a global economy right you know so if our value systems have to shift to like i said before water <laughs> don't violate other people's bodies and air right. and our food these are the things we need to live and you know then it changes everything yeah yeah how do you think that can happen though uh i think you go back to the circle of everybody like really thinking about who they are and what yeah, they can what contribute um onto the earth and and uh participating in systems that hold those values and yeah. divesting from systems that don't i think as human consciousness expands that 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 will be the net result of that like we're already moving in that direction
I mean, I know it's slow going, and there's a lot of also people moving. There's also dark forces moving in the opposite direction of that. Mm -hmm. So it's not like it's not black or white, but it's. Uh, I feel like I don't know. I just feel like yeah, like the the religion that the character in the parable of the sower created. God is change. Mm -hmm. I like that. I think that is that there's something to that as well. Like that we are like undergoing a massive shift in consciousness <laughs> right now. Yeah, we can, we can, we can see. I mean, sometimes I think there is like this economy based on like our uh, awareness of our consciousness. Like we, you know, what are our practices that we evoke to try to become more aware and more conscious and thoughtful and healthy people and that's a huge economy within itself what do you, you know? how do you mean like a like you know you go to the yoga, yoga. studio I that's you, what you were talking about <laughs> you go to therapy <laughs> you get you know like yeah. i had a wonderful breakfast at abc v vegetarian you know um abc restaurant yesterday there's all of these what do you mean by that like it's because it's like beautiful organic you know food, food you know like um there's all of these you want to pause for a second? No, no. I'll, okay. Um, there's, there's all of these practices, but I think um, those are very privileged, um, you know, yeah. access to those things. And That's I, true. There is yoga to the people, which is free, but it, that's also if you live in a big city, which if you live in a big city, that's kind of privileged. Yeah, too. and I think, like, sometimes it could just be... And I, and I don't have anything against practices. I practice all the time myself. But what I'm really, really trying to get to is that it's, it's, it's simple. Like when, if you, um, if you wake up in the morning and there's no water in your house, right? you know, and then you have to, um, negotiate with an, uh, uh, an entity to try to get water in your house and they say no, mm -hmm. you know, now you're in a new system. And I think like when you look at the systems, uh, you look what happened in Flint, Michigan, mm -hmm. um, and you look this happened in D.C. with the water being poisoned, then that, like, that makes transformation, right? Because now you are like, I am thirsty. Mm -hmm. I need some water. There is no water here that I can drink. And, um, and then if you look at Flint, right, Flint is like the government is responsible, right? They actually intentionally poison the, poison the water. So it's been five years. Like, you can't really, they, to get people uh, be held responsibility and then to just get the water right mm. is still an issue. And right. so I think that's, you know, like your consciousness can be evoked and widened right there, you know, because why would you let um, systemic issues in government? Um, stop you as an individual, as a person who can say, yes, we are going to fix this problem from doing it. Like, mm. what is the block? You know, what is the problem? So now millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars have been spent and these people still don't have no water, you know, the way they should. So that's, that's more what I'm saying. Like, it's simple. As soon as you have to do without, you know, as soon as you can't have what you want, that is the, that is the place where to, you change yeah and and it shouldn't come to that right it shouldn't come to like i have to personally yeah. be in distress to understand and um create an empathetic um you know point in myself towards um being helpful 
and towards doing everything I can. And I think that that is the step. Like it, it, you know, like if you like to eat food every day and if food is easy for you to get, if, if you live in New York and you have some money, like it's pretty much like kind of the only thing (laughs) you either an artist or you like in the food industry or in some kind of consumer industry here yeah so now we can get food so much food so fast so many you know but if that stops and you don't have any access and you didn't grow no food in your apartment then you understand what it means not to have access to it you know or remember uh i remember hurricane sandy and we was all like in our house for two days, uh-huh. just two days. Like, you know, I lived on Van Brunt then. Yeah. <laughs> but it was like in the gas. And remember, like the gas thing happened um, because of the hurricane. And so for two days, you're in your house. And I remember when people went out, it was like we had been in our houses for months. Mm. And then I remember everybody going like and waiting for gas for hours because it was like we ha- you know you have to get your gas like right now you know and i was just like i mean i don't even have any place to go mm. you know <laughs> like so i'm not doing that but the the point is is that when you have to do without even when you have enough of something else it get creates a panic it creates mm. like oh how am i going to get to this fast enough how is this going to happen how is that going to happen and so i think all of us can look at ourselves in those situations and say like well with having so much how can I shape that feeling how can I shape the feeling of panic when I when I don't have what I want you know that's the work yeah it reminds me of uh have you ever heard of Dr. Joe Dispenza Mm -mm. he's got this book called you are the placebo (laughs) um and it's real interesting and he he healed his own spine and created this sort of manifestation technique and meditation and stuff through massive trauma. And his whole thing is like, but why wait for trauma? It's kind of similar to what you're saying in a, in a different realm. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, don't, I don't know that humans really can change without trauma. I have like more of a cynical <laughs> view of that. Like I think it does take trauma because otherwise people are just like comfortable laying back it's like but when they go without like what you're saying or like mm. if you have a massive physical or psychological trauma then you get to this place where it almost like it jolts your reality to the point where you become the observer of yourself and more so and because uh yeah because of trauma and then you can you almost sort of can like look at yourself and then change that way but i don't know without the impetus of trauma or going without i'm not so sure it 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 would be better if we could all be you know like octavia butler and sort of (laughs) predict and see where this is going and then stop it but you can you can like one can but will will people in general in a small way like you could just say you can just deal with yourself she's just like yeah. look at your life and just say <clears throat> yeah. you know what's next what's and then next? what's next what's yeah. next but you have to be psychologically healthy and conscious to a degree because like for me i had a lot of trauma happen in my life three and a half four years ago which led to a lot of positive shifts and led mm-hmm. to things like being able to do that like oh where's this going and mm-hmm. let me you know 
yeah, I almost went homeless. A lot of wild, wild stuff happened. And then, um, uh, and since then, now, in like sort of the reboot of my life, I, I do have that ability, like what mm-hmm. you're talking about. I, I, and I am acting as that. But when I look, when I think of myself, you know, before that happened, mm-hmm. before the traumatic event happened, I wasn't like that because yeah. I was more unconscious. I was just living in the unconscious. Yeah. And when people are living in the unconscious, that's a, that's much more difficult to have that kind of foresight, you know? Yeah. I mean, on the path, you going to walk with a lot of different kinds of people. And no matter whatever the idea or judgment on somebody's wokeness, consciousness, or if they've gone deep inside or if they're just you know the foam on beer you know like whatever way that that you kind of think you know you will be with those people you won't be just in a room full of chosen people when when you end up on a path you with a lot of different kinds of people and so the the negotiation around moving forward is super super complex you know I always end up in places and sometimes I just like I'm in a store and I'll just stand in the middle of the store and I'll go this is my tribe like if something happened this is who I'd be with and Mm -hmm. these are the people I would work with and I don't know any of them you know I don't I don't know where they come from I don't even know if we speak the same language but here are my people and now we're going to work together with whatever happens that's like lost (laughs) it's like lost (laughs) like being in that island or something with like random people you know it's like it's (laughs) it it, it is it's like you know and that's that's life yeah you know that really is life and so i think yeah (laughs) you know that that we would all feel so much more comfortable if we could be like and now we're going we all have the same practice and we all think in the same ways and it just that'd be like a cult then It'll, it'll never happen, you yeah. know, and in the story, like it's all different kinds of people that end up, you know, together and end up working together and none of them planned it. You know, even that cul-de-sac community that are neighbors, none of them wanted in the parable of the, in the, parable of the sword. Oh, okay. None of them made, none of, would you, you know, none of them chose to, so oh, now we have to be collaborative with our neighbors in this uh, way. So they got into a position where they all had to sort of collaborate. They had to collaborate. Yeah, community. Yeah, and it and it becomes yeah. a thing, right? Because and you kind of see it happen where um, here already, where there's lots of of intentional wall communities, but then you'll see um, some neighborhood associations be like, you know what, we have the police, but we need to hire our own security people, you know, and they hire private security companies to, um, you know, to go and around their neighborhood as an, an added level of protection. Everybody agrees. Well. Let's get this kind of fence, you know, to have a uniform, mm-hmm. you know, in our neighborhood. So it's 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 just these kinds of practices that people evoke to try to make themselves, you know, even if there's not a wall there, like a wall of protection, you know. So the it, yeah, and none of those people are, are know each other. They're they're making economic decisions, or they're making like you know. We feel scared. We want to make sure that we're protected, or they're just trying to separate, segregate themselves from everybody else. Mm-hmm. And you know that's a huge practice. Uh, segregation is a huge practice in America. America was born out of it. 
so um, really violently and viciously. So that is, yeah. You're from you know, Atlanta, right? I was born in Atlanta. Born in Atlanta. Yeah. I lived there for about four or five years. I was gone by the time I was seven. So oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I remember it very well. And, um, you know, and I got parents of civil rights activists. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I just know I'm always going to be someplace landing in a situation that I can't predict its outcomes. Right. You know, and but that I can actually take the the steps forward that I think I can take in collaboration with whatever else is around me, yeah. you know, and that's like basically how I've lived my life, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. How did how did uh, your mom's influence affect your life? And your mom is like a great civil rights leader, right? Like, my mom's the shit, man. She's awesome. <laughs> my mom is Bernice what? Johnson Regan. And she's a lot of everything. I mean, she was a she was born in forty two, mm-hmm. you know. So being born in nineteen forty two in Albany, Georgia, um, you know, black black people didn't need the civil rights movement to understand activism because we've been doing it ever since we uh, were brought here. Mm. And so it's a like. What do you mean by that? We've been doing it ever since we got here. We've right. been in, in the activation of our freedom ever since we got here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so we were brought here by force. And we were brought here by, by kidnapping. And we were brought here by violence and violation mm-hmm. um, to work for free, to build this, this country, and to be enslaved and people and violated for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. But it's been in a very, very, very strong force against that. So by the time you get to uh, 1942, you're very close to almost 100 years after the Civil War, mm. you know? Um, and there's a major shift in the, the politics of the country. There's a major shift in the economy. You're almost uh, 100 years into free black people. And um, you're having the country create, you know, all kinds of ways to keep... Um, to keep us from being free, keep us from being equal. And so you get segregation and Jim Crow laws, you get um, massive incarceration, you get all of these uh, systems that we even deal with today. Yeah, so, the South, I mean, is more segregated even still, dude, you know. St- like, stop that, the South stuff. That was a, a countrywide uh, initiative and it is bad. But when I lived in Atlanta, I, like, because I came from Ohio and I noticed a big shift from going from one place to the other in the country. Mm. Well, I noticed a big shift going to Massachusetts. So, how, how so? <laughs> Massachusetts is racist as fuck. So, I, you know, whenever I went to Massachusetts, like from New York, you mean? From anywhere. It's yeah. just saying, like, it's this whole idea that, like, racism and segregation just happened in the South. And that I don't mean it just happened. I just mean it was even more prominent when I, when I noticed it being more mm. prominent. Well, I'm black, and I'm going to tell you that there's many places in this country that we go to to this day. And. Um, I was very comfortable in Atlanta. Yeah, I was, no, I love Atlanta. I'm not like dissing it. I'm just so, saying. Percy, when you like, say what? Massachusetts, it's like when you d- have you taken Parable there yet, or just in your yeah, regular? Yeah, we're, we're gonna. We did a workshop at um, Arts Emerson in Boston, um, and Arts Emerson is is uh, really awesome theater um, presenters um, with the the school there. And um, they are, there are so many, like, uh, man, they do one of the best jobs of being collaborative 
um, with their community that I've seen of, of arts institutions. Um, they are super good at it. Um, they've been, this is their 10th anniversary this year. And so they're bringing, uh, they're commissioning five new works this season and they're bringing back five works they already presented. So Parable is coming back as one of the works they presented already. That's um, awesome. They have like, uh, I think three, three theaters and they're all like, uh, downtown and they all work together. So, you know, when you like do a gig and you might be in a small theater and so just that theater has your face on it and stuff. But they, they put all of their shows on all of the theaters. So even the the one that's like 1,200 seats will have your face on it, even though if you're in their black box theater. They just try to, like, make the idea of presentation be like all of this work is important. It doesn't matter how big the room is. Um, they really have great dialogue with uh, their community, really cultivate. So they, they feel they're really presenting work that people want to see. Um, which is really awesome. Uh, they have invested a lot in Parable. They were one of the first people to um, get into this idea of this independently produced um, opera and really uh, put a lot of energy. And they also like, you know, they vibrate. They vibrate past themselves. So they, they've talked about Parable and I've heard about their other work they're presenting. Um, they just make sure you are really super involved, as it, which is great. And uh, and then even when we start this journey, they called all these meetings and all of these people came to these meetings to talk about not just presenting this work, but talk about like all the things we could do um, around it and continue to do after. And it was like somebody from the library, somebody from the mayor's office, um, young people who, you know, basically live stream all of these events, like all of these artists, all of these faculty members, all these students. Um, it was, it was really cool. And, um, and so I'm, I'm really happy to start working with them because it's, it's going to be an everlasting like motion. Um, and the same thing in LA, um, you know, UCLA, Christy Edmonds out there, very, very much um, really interested in presenting work that, uh, you know, does some of the things you were talking about, like what actually can get a bunch of people in the room together so they can have a, a feeling based on a common experience. And then how do we like, we don't want that to stop in that room. So how do we keep a conversation going? How do we create other work or other things to support like whatever comes out of viewing this work and participating in this work so a lot of a lot of people are using the arts as the way to shift and change um, the is institutions of governing around humans being on the earth you know and so I think that's great and that that really actually makes me feel hopeful and like how so because once you can bring people together you know I kind of equate um I, I equate these theaters as uh, the mass meeting holders of the 21st century. So during the civil rights movement, mass meetings were being held in churches. You know, people would just gather at churches, gather at churches, gather at churches and plan their revolutions. And I'm like, this could be theaters. You know, theaters are usually really big buildings, well supported with lots of room in them. And I'm like, who can be in this building? Like, what could, what else can you do um, all the days of the year when this building is empty because there's not something happening? How can you hold space for your community? How can you bring people together 
um, with your access to city and government with community and have uh, have conversations that that, you know, kind of aren't based on an election. Like they're based on like needs and they're based on things that need to be discussed and changed um, or improved on. And so I'm like, why not a theater? You know, mm-hmm. like it's a great place. You know, I was like, y'all got Wi-Fi and air conditioning. So like you could bring all kinds of people into this building, you know, all throughout the year. It doesn't just have to be wrapped around a season of work. So how did you adapt it into an opera, basically? Um, like, How did you pick what dialogue to yeah, use? And I mean, that was really hard because, uh, you know, I would love to do a five hour version of this. Right. How long is um, it? It's about two hours, two hours and 15 minutes. So you had to like condense it a great yeah. deal, I'm sure. Yeah, we had to condense it. We had to, you know, so many things happened to these people. So we couldn't say all the things we had to pick, like, you know. So how many songs things. did you write for it? There's they're not all songs, but there's about 40 pieces of music. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> lyrics and music is all you it's um the me and my mom and um also just using um the book and the situations in the book and i I took like maybe two or three of my mom's songs that she had recorded like you know in the seventies and put them in the story because they really spoke. I changed the words to fit the story, but they really spoke to uh to that to that to to whatever the conditions were so you know it starts off with like a family and a community and then it ends with like the family and community that you find along the way huh yeah so it's about sort of evolving your family yes and octavia passed away right yeah in 2006 did her estate give you permission to use it oh yeah they had i had to get that (laughs) yeah um they were really cool um you know um did they support you right away or did it take some time no they they supported me right away um they are you know if you notice like in the you know next next few years you'll see a lot of her work be on television and maybe some movies um you know, but she started writing at the end. I think her first book was published maybe in 79 or 80 or something like that. You know, so we're the first people to take her off of the pages of her book and, um, you know, put her on a stage. And, and no one, um, you know, it, it's been rumors forever. Like, literally, we've been waiting. Like, when are we going to see, like, a movie of Parable or a movie of Wild Seed or you know, a movie of Clay's Ark or like all these great stories she writ- she's written and it just never would happen. And all of her books have been optioned and and they just return back to her. So this, um, I like to think that, you know, along with a lot of other people, we, we help to, you know, just be like, it's possible, you know, like Octavia's work is so vivid and, um, and so important um and so wide like her her universe is gigantic right. and um and so like um you know Ava DuVernay is going to do a TV series um off of uh off of some of her books and um so there's there's a bunch so of things happening. happening it's yeah it's totally happening um but you know when that happens she'll she'll be inside the mainstream consciousness which is going to be really cool. I think it'll lead people to her books, which I think is really, really cool. 
and like we've done it in Singapore and we've done it in Holland and um and again we did it in Abu Dhabi and it's interesting to go to other countries where like you know they might not be as familiar with her work or her books haven't been translated yet um and then have these conversations because everything in that book is happening all over the world and so people are like oh yeah like over here we have a water scarcity problem and we have the war problem and we have the multinational corporations taking over um land that was public and privatizing it and we have um people not getting paid you know the wages they need and we have a very 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 conservative right-wing government that's trying to control women's bodies like we have anti-lgbtqi uh, situations happening so all, all over the planet like all of the issues are there and so it's very easy to go and like present the work and have a conversation around it because yeah. it's everybody's like oh yeah this is happening here how'd you get into music in the first place um that my mm. plans to be a football player didn't work out <laughs> was that, yeah you, you had a leg leg injury or something yeah, like that yeah totally what, ha- what happened football. there I just fell down on the playground and hurt my leg. And <laughs> like, that was it. And that was it. And then I was like, I'll be a musician. I'm out. I'm out. Yeah. 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 I mean, I was a kid. So, you know, I, yeah. my, they were like, you're not going to be able to run again. And then it was that bad of a leg injury. It was, a, it was bad. Like and what happened? I literally, I fell down playing yeah. soft, playing baseball. And then it got misdiagnosed for a year. Uh, and in that like year of time that was misdiagnosed, the injury got worse. Huh. And so they were able to correct it through surgery, but I, I couldn't run anymore. So they, wow. so yeah, they said that. And my mom looked at me and I was like, I'll be a musician. And then she was like, okay. That's and, cool. Yeah. What was the first instrument? Um, I would say like guitar and drums, like yeah. mushy in there. Like every time she... I got a guitar, but the, every time she brought like an instrument for my brother, I would like learn how to play Co-opted. it. Yeah, totally. So she brought him a drum set and I had a guitar and then I learned how to taught myself how to play the drums. And then she got, so then I had a drum set, you know, and uh-huh. a guitar and then she got him a bass and then I taught myself how to play the bass. That was my first, the bass. Yeah. Well, piano, then the bass. Yeah. I, 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 I suck at piano. Like, I never, she gave, like took me to get lessons and I was just like, I'm not gonna this isn't going to be my instrument right here but you what know. were your early like favorite musicians that influenced you the most oh my when i was uh three apparently i started singing like all of the motown songs uh-huh. on the radio and then when i was four i w- insisted that she buy me Jimi hendrix records i uh-huh. loved hendrix um all of my like my mom and the singing she did and then like all of this music when i was growing up you know the jackson five and uh, Selena Family Stone and and then my mom um, traveled a lot and when I was little she took me with her and my brother everywhere so we were always at like marches and demonstrations and and uh, folk festivals and so we got to hear music from all over the world and what so a the, great way yeah. to grow up to well see people that are stuff. like how do I get my blood yeah they're like how do you how do I get my child interested in music? I'm like, take them everywhere. Like, go go to festivals, take them with you. Yeah. You know, let their ears, you know, lead them. And so, like, I was really lucky. My mom, you know, pretty much let us, like, run free. You know, it was a different time. And we just would hear all kinds of music. And 
Um, you know, I was like every other kid and loved radio, but I listened to like four or five different radio stations. You know, like right. I, I listened to like all kinds of music, and um, and I got to see lots of like dancing from around the world. Mm. You know, one year she she uh, curated uh, this area called the African Diaspora at the um, Folklife Festival in Washington, and it was '76, so all big bicentennial year. So they had. Um, it was 12 weeks instead of two. Mm. And she brought people from all over the world. It was like you saw people from Senegal and from Ghana and from Nigeria and Cape Verde and, and all of these different places. And um, and then she would have like, uh, she built like a walk a walkway. And so you would see like women who braided hair from all across the African diaspora. And she would have all of these cooks. And then one day they'd all make beans like from wherever they were from. And then you could just eat, you know. She had, like, the street singers from D.C. would be out on the mall. And they could do exactly like they do being street singers. So the great Flora Moulton, who who died, you know, many years ago, but who was a really famous street singer in, uh, in D.C. was on the mall. What's her name? Flora, Flora Moulton. Mar- Flora Moulton? Yeah. She's, you can sing. yeah you can hear singer. on YouTube she's huh. amazing. What kind of what kind of singing? You know like gospel, like huh. bluesy gospel. She played the harmonica. She was a great great guitarist. Um, beautiful beautiful singer. Um, so yeah she she did all of that and I was like a little kid running around and all of a sudden it's like this whole world opens up to you and you know and then if you keep moving around the festival you'll hear music from ireland and you hear music from you know all kinds of places oh wow this is what russian music and sounds like and so for a kid like it just makes you think you can do anything you know because right. you're like oh you know you really just start to see beyond your every day yeah and it's it's so great yeah yeah and then what was the first like songs you wrote or album you made how old were you when that when that when you first started like your Uh, own original path with it i mean i was like a nerdy kid so i was in my room with like four tape recorders trying to do multi-track recording (laughs) like back in the day (laughs) (laughs) i was just like and my mom was like what the heck is that like what are you doing you know but i uh, she could tell so as soon as i for my present when i graduated from high school no she she took me to a studio and oh. she was like, I booked you studio time from Holy shit. two, it was like from 10 to 2 How every day. How old were day. you then? Oh, I was like 17. Damn, and she was like, you have cool. studio time from two, she gave me five days. Damn. And, so, and you are, did you already have original songs or did yeah. you have to, oh, so yeah. she, you already were like, had, I was already writing. And so I went in How there. long had you been writing at that point? I mean, like really, I don't years. even remember. Oh no, before that. More? I was Yeah. Wow. I was writing like these little simple kind of. You know, whatever the capacity of my guitar playing. Singing as well? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so she she got me into the studio. And then another singer, guitarist named June Millington. And June Millington, I didn't even know at the time. She's, um, her, her career started um, when she was like 14 years old. Like her and her sister came from the Philippines, Jean. And um, and basically, like, showed up at school and started, like, all women's bands when they were, like, 14, 15 years old. And eventually they got signed to Warner Brothers when their band's called Fanny. And they, you know, had a, many, many successful years. And June became, like, a really, really good producer, uh, guitarist. And when they, the women's music 
era started out of like you know a feminist uh, movement the lesbian separatist movement the, the like era movement june ended up like producing like a lot of, of recordings for these artists or playing guitar and i saw her play when i was like 14 and she was the first woman i ever saw like you know play like distortion and wah wah and i basically like attached myself to her mm-hmm. and the she, Hendrix, the Hendrix. I was spirit. like, oh my God, you know, like I could do that. And she, uh, she, to this day, she doesn't even know why she did it, but she started making me cassettes of like everything she worked on. So if she did like a songwriting sec- session, there'd be a little cassette. She'd send it to me. I'd hear her writing a song with somebody. If she was doing, uh, producing a project, she'd send me the cassette of when they first like sang the songs really raw then when they first did like kind of eight track run through and then when they actually got in the studio and recorded it and then when they added the strings like she just would send me everything at every she level mentoring you yeah she she mentored she now has like a rock and roll camp for girls uh called ima called? I am and it's a? like um in goshen near northampton in I massachusetts i am a i am a. Oh, I am a. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like, um, what's that stand for? Institute of Musical Arts. Oh, okay. Yeah. So she's like up there and she's touring and doing all, still. And so doing, you had great mentors in your life. Yeah. And then a little bit later, um, when I first got signed to a uh, like major label deal, I got signed to Electra like in 1990 or something. And um, the record's just, like, falling apart. And I read this article from, like, my favorite, like, songwriter, uh, Nona Hendrix, who was with LaBelle. Uh-huh. And and it says that she's interested in doing producing. And so they were like, well, who do you want to work with? And I was like, Nona Hendrix. <laughs> so yeah. I met her. And she also is, like, a big mentor. I, I have three moms. So it's June, Nona, and my mom. Right. And those are, like, my three music teachers that really like help me um you know kind of get to who i am in the world yeah yeah what was it like working with nona everything nona's a genius what album was that it didn't come out Uh, yeah it didn't come out what happened with that (laughs) i mean the record business the record business spend three hundred thousand dollars on a record and not put it out because we got money (laughs) like did it do you still do you value that record or do you like it or can you put it out now or do they own it or what they own it um i love it i i made a lot a bunch of copies and i sent them to my friends and i said i did this back in the day and hope you enjoy it but yeah yeah um that's interesting yeah what's that one called it's not called anything it didn't come out no you didn't (laughs) i named shit anyway yeah yeah it didn't come out but it was it was great. It was really, I, I loved the experience. I learned a lot. And I met Nona. And um, and my mother had kind of already, you know, laid down the idea, like, that this wasn't going to be a path that worked. So I just had experienced it. But I didn't have a dream, like, oh, this is going to work. What do you mean your mom laid She down? was like, you you know, somebody was like, oh, Toshi, you just got a record deal. Bernie's, you know. Um do you you know did you know this was going to happen so soon and mom's like well i don't know and she said i feel like you know toshi's gonna be like more on a like bonnie Raitt track and then we everybody bonnie Raitt track like where it'll happen later in life like it'll happen later and everybody looked at her and somebody was like 
yeah, but, you know, Bonnie Ray was, like, in her 40s, <laughs> and I was, like, 25 at the time, and mm-hmm. then I, I knew none of this shit was going to work. I was, like, and Mom's, like, yeah, that sounds right. And Have so, you ever met Bonnie Ray? Yeah. Me too. She's yeah, so nice. Yeah, but just really quickly, like, you know, <laughs> I don't, really, I don't really know funny. Bonnie Ray, but, uh, yeah. yeah, really quickly, and she actually knows June, and she probably knows Nona, because June and Nona know everybody, so, yeah, I mean, she's so cool. She's and her cool. career has been outstanding. But, like, you know, mom was like, yeah, because she just grew and grew and grew and grew. And it was, like, a long trajectory of growth. And she's like, and then she can just do this as long as she wants. I think that's a great way to have a career. That's how my mom's career has been. That's how my career is, you know. Um, so, yeah, I'm grateful for the path, you know. Yeah. yeah. Speak, um, speaking of Nona, you work with Estrella as well a lot, right? Yeah. And they honored her, and you played with her um, on stage that night. Because I, I was just there, <laughs> I remember it. Yeah. Was that a big moment for you? I mean, you know, I y- think... You were already, like, super close with her before that. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's just that Nona, I mean, it, that night Nona said... She doesn't get like, uh, and she ain't looking for it, you know. She doesn't. She's not thirsty, but um, when you've been, you know, Nona, I I have a show called Deep Roots of Rock and Roll, and the show is like it's massive. There's all of these people in it, and you know, um, is that a live show or yeah, internet or what? No, what it's is it? it's a live. Show. Oh, it's like a, a Joe's Pub or? Oh no, you it can't fit in there. Oh. <laughs> and, and so. Um, and and so we started, you know, like I did a path that's around tech, technology, um, transportation of sound, and um, and the people, you know, and those are like kind of the three lanes. And you get to a certain point, and you and you know, so we start kind of um, in the 19th century before the technology to record music is invented, and we and we reference. Um, the transportation of people from um, other places into here and onto this land, right? And but and we move through time, and then we get to a certain point, like in the in the fifties. And Nona wasn't making music in the you know she wasn't a professional artist, um, but Nona is like the one person that is alive that can go through kind of this era of like what people center around the birth of rock and roll in the 50s you know I have quotation marks there um all the way up to now and when she gets to the 60s she's actually a participant Mm -hmm. you know in the early 60s she's a participant and then she's participant like all (laughs) the way up to now and there's not like anybody else like there's nobody else to to you know like it's Nona Hendrix um if you want to you know, and 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 to a certain extent, like June Millington is another one of those people. Like June's career started really super super early, and you know carries out through this whole time. But Nona Nona is like, you know, you can go see Nona play anywhere and get your ass blown out your seat. Mm-hmm. You know, like she is not to be played with, and so um, it's really cool to see her really just kind of acknowledged um, by some of these organizations that are interested in, um, you know, the historical importance of, of people and their work, 
and also like broadcasting that forward. So Nona can't sit still. Like she she is constantly changing. She's collaborates with all kinds of people. She's a she's a geek. She's an artist. She paints. I mean, she does everything, you know. So um, yeah, it was really good to see her uh, that night. So it was meaningful in that way. But Nona, where's the show? Nona plays. No, uh, where's your show? The show that you deep were just, roots around. I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll, you can't like just go see it. It has to be presented. Uh, so but where do you present it? Or have people you? have to ask for it. Like it's a show that's already set, and then people have to. Oh, book people it. can like yeah, buy people can. it for their. They theater. can book it and say uh, they want it. I see. Because it's have it's, you put it? So you've put it on a few times. Yeah, or? we did it at Lincoln Center, and wow. yeah, we've done it like two or three times. But it's a big show. Like Vernon Reed's in this show. Known as in this show. <laughs> like I love Vernon. Vernon's awesome. Like Corey. Shout over. out Vernon Reed. That's right. I'm trying Brother to get Vernon. him on the podcast. Ah, uh, yeah, I could see he that could, being fun. Yeah. yeah, I met him in like mid nineties. Vernon is yeah. is beautiful. Yeah, I love him very much. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I had to open for Living Color, and it was like me and my guitar, and it was like when I first moved to New York. And like they were like the hugest band and everything. Yeah, and he, when they he, first came out, called a personality, all yeah. that stuff. He was super nice to me. I was just like, yeah, you know. And at some point when we were doing that show, we realized like how long we had known each other. And Bill Bragan had presented it, and Bill's, um, you know, one of my favorite arts presenters, and my brother. Um, and the three of us were just like, man, we have known each other forever. Yeah, it was really sweet. It was really wonderful really wonderful i met vernon in 95 at peter gabriel's studio I got, that's where i got signed to peter gabriel's uh-huh. label real world records uh-huh. and Ver- and there was this thing called recording week which was like people from all over the world like you know musicians from africa from india like all these kind of famous producers uh vernon reed just random people iggy pop was there <laughs> and there was one um I, I, I made like my first five songs with this family from India and Vernon was like, you realize you just recorded half of your first record, don't you? Like, which we, that never came out. But then there was this one time where he, it was that we were in the studio and Vernon was about to put guitar on a Peter Gabriel song mm-hmm. and everyone was in the studio and, uh, and it just seemed like he was going to maybe play like some, you know, Vernon plays lots of notes and real fast. But on this one, he just played like one note the whole way through. And it was just awesome. It was just <laughs> like he just played one note the whole way through. He was actually the first person we asked to be on this podcast, mm. which uh, we're still trying to get him to come on. He said he's going to do it. <laughs> then he disappears and then he says he's gonna do it again so hopefully he does it yeah you know yeah you also opened for Lenny Kravitz oh my god yeah so long long so long that ago happen? that was on his just first you, first album his first yeah He's, I love that album Let Love Rule yeah was that a record label thing or did he ask oh you? hell no like uh, there is no record label that ever wanted that to happen you know him or something personally or he's just really spontaneous guy and um, we just like met a couple of times and then he was like, Oh, you know, you sound cool. Like you should open some shows. And I was like, okay, you know, and, <laughs> and you know, you, this happens all the time where people are like, yo, we should do something, you know? And then, uh, and, then and wait, it do doesn't it. happen, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And then he, uh, and then he basically, uh, he basically was like, yo, um, 
I got these five dates and do you want to come and do them? And then I did five and then he just was like, you should do some more. And then he just went and argued with his company and was like, I just want Toshi to open for me. And they were like, no, these bands bought onto the tour. And he's like, I just want Toshi to open for me. And so he basically, um, these, the band that bought onto the tour would go on first and right before Lenny unannounced, I would come out and sing three songs, mm. and it was it that's was it? Just that's three? I would come out yo. It was a it was a lot. That's a lot, especially after the opener. That after means the, that's huge, yeah. and that's and that's perfect that's when you're opening spot. up for a huge artist. You don't want to go too long. It's better to no. go. It's better go short. It was it was fun, but it's also scary as shit because people would be like Lenny, Lenny, and then I walk yeah. out and they'd be like, "Boo!" Right? <laughs> <laughs> Did he ever bring you out during his set? A couple of times, yeah, but yeah. most mostly I would get out there. I don't know, man. It was yeah. like thirty hundred years ago. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's so over, and it was wonderful. But people people get excited about famous people and want to talk about something you did so long ago, and. Um, and then, yeah, I was like, it happened. It's okay. It's just so random to me. Like, so when, when somebody reads about you, all yeah. these things, and I was like, oh, Lenny Kravitz. Yeah, but, you know, Paris Opera House conductor and, yeah, you know, yeah. doing operas in, like, you know, the last Greek theater in Sicily. Like, you know, like, it's, my career is has been a lot of really amazing and incredible uh stops along an incredible way and none of it is is predictable how did you get into opera was that more as a result of trying to put like very sort of word oriented like theatrical things together led you to opera were you a fan of opera just in and of itself no we just don't do dialogue in our work me and my mom so my mom never did it you know no dialogue no why not she just didn't just preferred to sing it she didn't you know like i've i've actually done musicals you know because they have songs and dialogue Mm -hmm. you know but um but my mom's my mom doesn't do that and so whenever if i'm doing anything with her it's not going to have any dialogue in it interesting yeah that's cool yeah yeah do you do you enjoy opera even if you don't understand the language or is it i enjoy music even if i don't understand the language yeah but opera is kind of specific I mean, there's all kinds of operas. They're not all in foreign languages. No, I understand. <laughs> like, like I, what are you saying? I'm saying, do you, do you, I'm asking if you, <laughs> I get that. No, like, I'm asking if you just enjoy, yeah, opera. You mean in a classical you, sense? Yeah, you, like, you yeah, know, yeah. You, yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I enjoy good music, mm-hmm. you know, so I don't have a judgment on the genre. Right. You know? Yeah. yeah. And I enjoy powerful singers. Yeah. You know, and they don't have to be loud and big, but I enjoy I enjoy really, really good singers. Who's your favorite? I don't have a favorite. I mean who's like top three? I don't have a top three. Who's like a top you put you put on these shows for your birthday at George mm-hmm. Pub every year. Yeah. And and every show is different and yeah. you have such a big uh, array of musicians around yeah. you and one of the nights is all women yeah and you have some really powerful um yeah singers i mean with you there i have like really powerful musicians i i love um you know I mean, the, everybody it, the all women ensemble was like mind-blowing it was yeah. just like it makes you think like i know it's not it's it should happen all the time 
but it just makes you think like yeah. I, I, halfway through the show i was like wait it's all women it, it was just like it was great who yeah. were those singers in that show um well on that particular night i think Catherine russell who's like a genius and um Catherine's one of those uh vocalists that can really sing a lot of different kinds of music she's just really good she has she like a bunch of really great uh, and diverse jazz records um, out, but I met her. She was singing like a lot of rock and roll and a lot of soul, and she's a, she's a great singer. And then uh, Josette Newsom, who uh, is definitely you know um, she's a singer that like really pays a lot of attention. If she comes and sings for you, she'll learn learn everything. And a lot of times she will make secret rehearsals with the other vocalists. Because if she just feels like anybody is tentative or that it's not completely tight, she'll be like, so ladies, y'all are going to meet me in a dressing room at 2 o'clock <laughs> before the sound check. And we're going over all of the songs. I'll walk in and they're like having rehearsal. Um, Carla Duran, who's a, a great actress and a great singer, like a great like everything. She was with us. And then Judith Castleberry, who's like my big sister. Um, Judith had a band called Castleberry Dupre. And that was one of my first gigs, like that I did as a professional professional musician. I was their bass player, so we've stuck together all these years. Um, and Judith's like a big professor at Bowdoin now, so <laughs> ten years. But she comes down and does the birthday concert. So, you know, and obviously Nona is is great. I mean, in New York, uh, Tamar Kali is extraordinary. Aruj Aftab is extraordinary. Um, Bernice comes out and sings with you. Yeah, right. my mom comes and does a sacred music show. I obviously love her singing. Um, you know, in the... What's the sacred music show? It's a show based um, in the sacred music. And this and now it's it's all my mom's songs. So we just sing, like, my mom's songs that she wrote or that are important to her. Right. Yeah. Uh, you feel people come out to those... Like, she still has fans. People come out because they want to oh hear my her God. stuff. My mom could do shows all the time. She retired. It's crazy. That show sells out in like two days, you know, and people are like, you know, why are you doing this show in this little venue with your mom? Like, go to town hall, like, go to, like, but if anything gets, like, too big, too she's, she's just, she, you know, she worked for almost 60 years, and she, and then when she was, like, she took about 20 years to kind of, like, leave, you know, she had all these jobs. Really? She looked really slowly, and in 2014, she was like, I'm good. And she was like, I'll do a little something with you once in a while. But I, she fired her assistant because she was like, I'll keep my assistant to just. And then it was making too, me, too much work. And she was mm -hmm. like, I'm serious. Like, I am retired. What's she doing now? Being retired and happy. Well, what does that what does that look like? like you know, it looks beautiful. So if an offer it looks came to play awesome. But I mean, like. She'd reject it? What does it look like in terms of just like, you know, like wh how how does she spend her time? I mean, she wouldn't want me to tell you. Oh. Yeah. She doesn't know y'all. Um, but it's beautiful and she's happy and that's all that matters. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. So what are you working on now? Um, well, we had to do the opera again, um, release some new music, uh, got a pizzier, um sing-along happening on Friday. Um Unfortunately, this will come out in August, yeah. or that would have passed. Yeah. You, have, you have a connection with him. Yeah. yeah. What's your connection with Pete Seeger? Pete and Toshi Seeger. Toshi, I'm named after, and Toshi and Peter are my godparents. Um, so 
uh, I do, I've been doing a sing-along since they died. Um, I skipped last year, uh, but um, the public asked me if I do this thing in the street and asked their place. And so um, by the time y'all are listening, we'll have already done it. It would was really good. <laughs> it was amazing. So it was you, incredible. I was there. It's, you just do it on the street at Astor Place? Yeah, you know, they, they it's so crazy. They just set up um, some chairs and a stage, and uh, and then they have um, every Friday. Damn. They have, like, kind of, they call it Friday Night Cabaret at 6 o'clock. Yeah. No idea. Yeah. No, it's awesome. So what did you learn from Pete? Um, it's really what I learned from Toshi. Toshi is uh, Toshi. Toshi is amazing. Um, Toshi is like uh, the you know navigator, map maker, DIY before it was a thing. Um, she is a you know she really designed a lot of the 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 vehicles that they use to do their work, um, especially um, with concern to cleaning the Hudson River, um, the Clearwater Folk Festival. Um, she was the person when my parents did the freedom singers and they started to tour um the civil rights movement across the uh, music um from the civil rights movement across the country um it was like my would get someplace and my mom would call toshi and toshi would be like okay go to this place next you all if you all can get here by this day they'll receive you and she kind of navigated with my mom of freedom singers touring around the country at that at that time um sometimes the freedom singers uh were the only ones like kind of generating money um for the movement so it was uh, for SNCC uh, student nonviolent coordinating committee which was the young folks um mechanism for you know doing the powerful work um in the civil rights or slash southern freedom movement so um Toshi is is you know, definitely the person that really, um, like, helped me to know that you can create a path out of anywhere. Like, you don't need to have validation from people who already have access to path making that you can just decide, like, I want to do this, mm. I want to do that, and then you, you figure it out and you do it. And She's like a mentor of, em- like, empowerment. She yeah, but she also was like she created all these festivals and she, you know she she was and she is like the most humble person. Like she helped the, create this um, Clearwater, which you know ends up being this huge festival still happens today. But you know when I first came, I was fifteen, and she's like, "Welcome to the litter pickers," which is what she did. So if you saw her at that festival, she was driving around a cart. She had a litter picker T-shirt, and mm-hmm. she was like, "Picking respond- up litter." Yeah, and then you, you know, I came. She's like, "You're a litter picker," you know. And then when I was 17, she she booked me for the first time as a singer. So it's she just, she just knew what was important in life. Yeah, yeah. She knew there was like family service. Yeah, and then she was like, and then create the vehicles you need to get the work done you needed. So. Clearwater was a fundraiser for that boat um, to go down the Hudson and, and bring awareness and clean it, you know. Right. To pay for Clearwater, they had a strawberry festival. Yeah. You know, so it was like these little babies like that just kept growing and helping each other. Right. You know, and that's like just, she just had a long vision. And I remember one year, like she had already finished producing the festival. Somebody else was taking it over. 
Um, it was messy, messy, messy. And then eventually it was just like, it was almost nothing. And she called me up and she's like, I'm going to make a little clear water. And it's like you and Judy Collins and some other folks. And it's going to be one afternoon. I'm going to hold this space and I'm going to give you a thousand bucks and bring your band. And I was like, okay. And literally it was like <laughs> this one afternoon. It was like maybe 500 people, you know, that festival would have like 10,000 people. Mm-hmm. And she held the space and then it like got to recreate itself and grow again. And um, that's just like, you know, that's that's who she was. Like, she is amazing. And your namesake, huh? Yes, thank goodness. When yeah. did you, how old were you when you actually knew who she, like, acknowledge what she's done and said oh my god this person is like i mean who I, she is yeah i i mean i known her since i was born right. so, so it's kind of like do you realize like your namesake is this huge inspiration you know how you have a uh, your relatives and then like as you grow up with them you know learn them and you realize like this is my aunt is so awesome yeah it's like that. I was like, this, you know, because it's different from like an outside perspective. If you're looking at somebody else's family and then you're like, yo, man, my best friend has the coolest mom and she does this and that because it's, it's just like, you know, it's, they were family. So I just always knew them. Yeah. So I knew them from the inside. I didn't really. Um, I do remember like um, I loved Earth, Wind and Fire and. Earth, Wind & Fire recorded one of Pete's songs, but I, I actually heard it from Earth, Wind & Fire first. And so then I'm like at a show of Pete's and he starts singing, Where Have All the Flowers Gone? And I was like, oh, are you singing Clever that Earth, Earth Wind & Fire, Fire song? <laughs> you got to see him play a lot. Yeah, I got to see him play a lot. And it was hysterical. I mean, and when I found out, like, he actually wrote the song, I was like, get out of here. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, I was like, are you rich? And he was like, no, no, we give we give it all away. Like he, they, you know, they just like got money and just were like give it all away. So it was funny. But Another I was like, it's such big, a big hit. Big influence on your path, those two. Oh my God, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, it's so great when you have um, when you have have your family, you know, um, supporting you and and uh, and loving you and inviting you. And I think. Um, if your family that you're born into is whack, you know, like it's great if you can just go and get the godparents you need or the sisters or the brothers or people that you need. Like don't let your blood family limit you to your, your family. Like go and make that chosen family and get on with your life. Um, I'm grateful that my mother really valued the other people that were in my life and that um, I, you know, like I said, I have like, oh, these are my three moms and this is my, th-. and my mother wasn't, um, threatened by no, that. she wasn't threatened by that. I had great stepmom, Marble Regan, who lived in New York and, and, um, you know, so she wasn't threatened by any of that. She was like, everybody needs as, as many good relatives as they can get. Yeah. So she was, she just was a, a really cool and s- secure woman and. She let me have my way with all of these great people, and it definitely raised me well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so important. That's awesome. Definitely. Yeah. And you're a mom now yourself. Yeah, and my daughter is the same way. Like, she, you know, there's a bunch of us, and we've, like, raised our kids together, so they're all cousins. And so our family is quite big, and my daughter's the oldest. She's the first firstborn 
in that family. And, you know, sometimes she don't tell me anything, you know, so she's, she's with her godmom or with her aunts and, you know, or her cousins. And, you know, I'm grateful for that. Like, I'm grateful she has such a great universe. What are her music influences? Oh my gosh, she would strike you down. Like, literally, she got, by the time she was four, she got so sick of people asking her if she sang right. or, or music that she refused. And to this day, she is How old like, is she? she's 24 now. Ah. Yeah, she's, she's grown. grown. But when she was four, <laughs> she was like, that's enough. So she's not, she didn't follow in the foot, the musical footsteps? No, and she intentionally, like, you know, yeah. my daughter is a beautiful voice, but she barely will sing. And she just, she is her own person. And she got really, she got over it. She was like, people are lazy. And they don't really want to know who I am. They just want to know if there's, like, some relationship to you and grandma. And she cut, she nipped it in the bud. So she's what she do. She's a paralegal at the uh, Innocence Project, and um, and then off to her post grad work. Wow. Yeah. She she's did. brilliant. She rebelled. She, you know, she just was like she. We're all on the same path. She just has a different expertise. Yeah, she's working for the Innocence Project. She yeah. rebelled, but followed. Yeah, suit. followed. She suit, is, That's true. She just. She was like, I'm not interested in this. I was yeah. proud of her, but I was like, come sing with mommy. <laughs> You want her to sing? No, I don't care. I want her to be happy. I want her to be exquisitely happy and well. And whatever that looks like for her is her business. That's cool. Yeah. And I'm her I'm her warrior on the back over here. And I team team uh, Tashawn. So whatever she wants, um, I just want her to be happy. I want her to be treated well in the world, you know. Are you still are you writing new songs currently or always. Always. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it just it just comes when it comes and yeah. you know when you're young, I don't know if you had this, but I remember when I was young, I could have an idea of a song in my head. Uh-huh. And then, you know, go out, do everything, come home and then like kind of put it down and record it. And yeah. now is it's not like that anymore. So, if I get an idea, I sing it into my thing, yeah. and then I go home later, and I'm yeah. like, and sometimes I'll forget I did it. It's oh just, man, I have like 500 voice memos, <laughs> like so, like so many lost songs that you oh, know. Oh man, I used to make sure to get every single one of them. Now I'm much more lazy about it. Yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, I still capture enough of them. Yeah. You know, to make records and whatnot, but yeah, they're they're great. It's a great tool. You don't need to have everything. Yeah. But you know, people will ask me to write a song. Like they'll be like, "Can you write a song for a play?" And um, and then I'll be walking around, and then I'll just be like, ah, "That's a song." So uh-huh. I have to put it down. Then I get yeah. it home. I put down the next part, and you have the trick is to leave yourself great notes. So I'm like, song idea for this. Yeah, to yeah. actually label it. Yeah, and if you label it, it works. And if you don't, you're like, what number? Wait, song number 397. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's interesting. You said like uh, when you're walking, I, I, that happens to me a lot. Like if I'm walking, if I'm meditating or exercise, I can like, that's like when the subconscious goes boop. Yeah. You know, and throws you that idea or in the shower or something mm-hmm. like that. When you're, like. Do you meditate or anything like that? Do I do. I have a, I do. I don't really get any musical ideas there, 
but usually when I first wake up in the morning, uh-huh. you know, and a lot of times I'm dreaming that I'm singing. Right. And so I'll I'll wake up and and whatever I've been singing in my dreams, I'll just be like, nah, nah, nah. you know, it sounds terrible. Yeah. But there's a there's a few songs that are, came from dreams. Yeah. 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 So I was like, as soon as I I I just try to do it because it, it's like vapor relieving you. Yeah. Yeah. It dissipates. Yeah, it totally does. So yeah. But when I meditate, it's almost like I just have no no thoughts. Right. You know, everything well, is clear. That's the idea. Yeah. You just, at first, it's, it's super busy. Every problem tries to jump in. Uh-huh. And, then, and then it clears away. How? What kind of meditation do you do? I don't know. Is there a particular kind? I don't know. There's I different really kinds. Quiet. There's like TM. There's like just look observing your breath. Um, I don't know. There's apps. I use apps. Yeah. Or I use like YouTube guided meditations oh right on yeah like dr joe dispenza he has a bunch of them on youtube i use those right on yeah yeah i mean i think whatever especially when you're traveling i think those you know whatever can be helpful but when i'm at home i just get really quiet and focused yeah and and let and let myself be at peace yeah yeah that's cool Mm -hmm. tells you your last album was spirit spirit land mm-hmm. and you put that out yourself mm-hmm. why'd you do it that way it was urgent because record know. labels don't do anything and then i just <laughs> was it the first time <laughs> you did kidding. it that way no i've done it i like the last few records that way you, you know? have your own own label kind of own imprint i or? just released it i it's it's like the the it's so easy now mm-hmm. you know i mean i think I, that wasn't the record I thought I was was gonna come out, but it was just kind of insisted. Like, no. It, what was urgent not, about it? It was literally like I I just kind of Personally had these days, urgent, yeah. And um, and you know I record at the Bunker Studio in Brooklyn a lot, and those guys are so super supportive. And where's that? Um, in Williamsburg. Oh, okay. It's awesome. And um, and there and and uh, one of the guys, Todd, said. You know, you have like over a hundred songs. Like, you know, I just have been recording, and some of it's project oriented, and some of it's like, oh, I'm gonna make that record. I'm gonna make that record. And uh, so I kind of committed, like, let me go in, look at this work, and then just try to like figure out where these songs go. Yeah. And then that, and as I was doing that, like that record just formed out of all of the the material. When, after they like, hey, you got a hundred songs. Yeah. It's time for you to yeah, like, like put. Ten together. <laughs> like, do you see any oh, records what? here? Yeah, and then I yeah. was like, yeah. So then, once once we kind of had like that little pocket of songs, they they really easily revealed themselves. Like, was it around a theme or? Yeah, they're just you know, um, you know, it's called Spirit Land. So it was really this idea of 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 like you know where where you come from and where you're going. Like, uh-huh. I think that's that was like the thing, and then. Um, and so all, a lot of them were already mixed, you know, right. like, so we just like remixed a couple and so almost like putting together a mixtape of your own. Yeah. It really hits. was fun. And then I, I recorded a new song. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as soon as it was like mixed, they have a mastering right there. I mastered it. And then the next like three days later, I just was like, boom, band camp. There you go. <laughs> it was like so just on Bandcamp. It's just on Bandcamp, but now we're we're gonna do like the vinyl, and we're gonna oh, do man. like some other things. So not even iTunes. No, I just put it on Bandcamp. You know, it just how like, long ago? Just like December. Oh, okay, real, yeah. re- real, it's recent. really recent. Yeah, 
very quiet. Like I haven't, you yeah. know, and then now I'm like, all right, let me put this out in, in, in bigger ways. But yeah, um, it was really fun. It was really great to to do it like that. It was so easy. Yeah. And um, and I love like some things about this technology is that you know you can kind of release your own music without stress, and yeah. you can you know um, hustle your way through it or not hustle your way through it. Like you yeah, just go don't. Easy. You don't have to do anything. So yeah, it was. It, I I really liked it, and people find it and enjoy it, and that's the most important thing. That's cool. I'm I'm get my records just getting mastered right now. My new uh, solo record. Awesome. Yeah, it's called Comeback World, and it's uh, it's interesting because I got a bunch of songs too, and I got it down to ten. But it's that you you almost have to like enforce like okay, it's out by now. And here's a release date. Like we made a release date October tenth. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I need that pressure. Right. I need like that sort of that pressure of time Mm -hmm. to actually like, you know, complete something and get it out or else it will just like blossom into like endless production and decisions. And even now, like where I'm at mastering, we're like, oh, let me put this little idea even within the mastering stage. And it's just it's interesting the way when you put that sort of time limitation on yourself Mm -hmm. and it makes it happen. Like, what do you think of, of that, of like? creativity and its relationship to pressure yeah i mean i think you know i got like really overwhelmed with so many other projects i just was like i didn't release any of the music yeah um but i think now i'm like okay you need to release something at least once a year yeah one it's not that big a deal like you don't have to you can make these projects as big or as small as you want yeah um and so just just do it you know just do it I do don't think overthink it don't overthink it it's important for the work to be out there um and that you know just do it so that but i do think like um i think one of the reasons like when i finished spirit land i'm like just put it out like you know it's because yeah, i was cause i was you, afraid like oh i'll wait right like, or i'll rethink it again and yeah, then yeah and it, and it and it won't come out and so yeah yeah so no i, I was, relate to that I, yeah. I kind of yeah i sort of got that when you when you did it that way yeah because of what i'm dealing with right now like that's that weird relationship between letting work go yeah. and what that kind of does to you and that one was really visceral. It was just like, no, I'm, we're finished, you know. Yeah. And it was, and I even was like, I think I have one more song, and it w- and it was literally like the back of my brain is like, no, it's done. Yeah. You know, and I love I love that record very much, and yeah. I like listening to it myself, and it's a it's a kind of different record for me. Um, so the next one will come out, and that'll be more like the songs I play if you come and see me with a band type of thing. Mm-hmm. But it was, yeah, it was totally. It was totally right on time, right. and um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm good. I'm good with that. But definitely, a structure is good. Like once you have a structure, yeah. it makes you, you know, it keeps you on a clock. And I don't know about you, but like a year or two go by so fast. Yeah. Now, like I'm already like That's in true. year 2021 and 22, and I was like, good lord, like. <laughs> And I came back in town for my trip, and then I was having dinner with my friend, and she's like, so when are you leaving again? And I was like, you know, actually, I'm not going to talk about that. Like, I just got home. Like, let's just, right. just be home for let's a minute. Let's be here now. But everything is so like, okay, well, what are you doing next? And yeah. when is this going to happen? And when is that going to happen? And, and I'm just like, no, like, can we just 
you know, be here and eat this food <laughs> and talk. <laughs> like, yeah. So I think, a, a, you know, having a schedule, you know, is good to keep you. But the next thing you know, you're planning like 2023, you know, like, and yeah. that feels crazy to me now. And people book tours so far in advance yeah. now, too. Like, people are announcing, you know, like, yeah, yeah pretty soon it's going to be like two years in advance it's already like a yeah. year in advance people announcing tours and theater is crazy theater you is really have worse? to be yeah you have to be a year and sometimes a year and a half in advance like people like start to look at their seasons and so they're like okay we're booking 21 22 yeah you know and so then that means you're like oh okay well maybe this can happen in 22 you know and then you're like we're in 19 and it's just it just becomes like these kind of really crazy jumps you know yeah um with parable i definitely am like i want to get to 2024 you know like i want to do parable in 2024 so it's so you're already thinking 2024 yeah because that's when the book is takes place so i'm like that's wow. uh, oh, yeah. that makes sense yeah, yeah. okay so i was like yeah. we have to be there <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, that'll be on Broadway. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, that's. Uh, th- I have that question in the back of my head. Some some um, plays that debut at the public mm-hmm. usually do it for a period of time with a goal to get to Broadway. Like yeah. let's say Passing Strange, uh, that Stu did. W- w- your goal when you set out to do this thing was just to do it, or was there something in your mind where like this needs to make it to Broadway? Yeah. Well, we didn't we didn't get that track with the with um, the public. So what we did is under the radar, which is like a small, yeah. um, you know, like kind of two week festival that they you know brilliant festival, and the workshop version of Parable debuted during that festival in 2015, and there was a lot of people at the public that wanted it to come back in 2000. Is it 18? We came back or January 2018. And I think, um, and and that was cool. But I think Parable actually, as a as a piece, is a little bit too big for that festival because that festival, um, it really is a festival. So there's like two or three shows and all the theaters running simultaneously, and um, so it's not a lot of tech time. It's yeah, like you know, it needs the attention. It needs the attention. So we did that. It sold out really fast, and um, and then the public had an option, you know, on a piece which they didn't. Um, pick up right away but um, a lot of people at the public uh, really invested in the work um, and they continue to be a really great support to us and we'll do a run in New York at some point and we'll see where we do it um, kind of everybody you know my goal for this piece is really to do the, the path work and the performances you know because I think that that's the mission of that book and I think that's the, the, the awakening. And awakening isn't, let's see how close we can get to the destructive places that are in this. The awakening is, let's not let these destructive places happen. Like these are horrible places and there's, we don't need to do that. Um, so let's do something else. Let's shock ourselves and actually do something else. Yeah. And um, let's shift before the trauma. Let's just shift before the trauma. Like we, you know, we can imagine the trauma and shift. Like, you know, so that's a that's the question. <laughs> that's the question. I, can humans do that? It's I don't like know. I don't know. I don't Catastrophe know. needs to happen for change to happen. It's well, like, change happens all see. the time. But I think what you're saying change is to like be implemented. Change happens all the time. You know, so all, almost all all great movements happen 
they're, they're not like, boom, all of a sudden, here's a movement. They are like a steady, 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 steady path towards a systemic change, you know, but there, there's catastrophic events that you can point to and then you can say this was the answer to that particular thing. But humans really do play this game where they're like, I need to feel the worst pain and then I can be a good person. Mm -hmm. And it's like by the time you are there, you're 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 in a very desperate situation already. Yeah. So you want to be steady, 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 steady in your life. You don't want to you don't want that. They people think, well, because of Trump, like um, now people are coming together. And I'm like, are you all crazy? Like. Do you realize how much, how many people are dying and how many, you know, like, no, we can't operate off. That cannot be your um, incentive for change. And so, like, there's other ways to have incentive. You know, there's a a great professor at um, University of North Carolina, Todd Bendor, and he talks about, I made little movies about, about, like, um, a lot of the faculty. And in his, he just talks about, like, going to visit a friend somewhere and the friends recycling and he's like you know my friend recycles so cool like he had the bottle separated by color and he had you know he had like this and it was so clean and it was amazing and he's like gosh man you are really good at this and his friends kind of like what you know he's like this this recycling thing he's like you're like the best recycler i ever saw and he was like don't you guys do this like he's like we all do this this isn't this is normal for us and like mm-hmm. his whole town does it and you know Todd's like you know we would never do that like he just is hysterical but he's like you know we just want like six inches in front of our face and then we just want to like kind of reference around the issue and then the film goes to like you know a typical like garbage can on the street that's overflowing and that people just start dropping their garbage around the garbage can because there's no Mm -hmm. room and he's like you know and our culture is incentive based, you know, and so we need incentives to to do something that actually we need to do because we actually need to live and exist. And so, you know, there's simple examples of this with like the plastic water bottles and like everybody agrees it's terrible to suffocate the ocean. Everybody agrees it's terrible to make, um, you know, to have all of the uh, sea life, um, ocean life start to now be made of plastic everybody agrees our food shouldn't be made of plastic but we still don't we haven't divested from that system we haven't forced our our corporations that you know do do bottled water to leave that and that but that's our job Mm. that's not nobody else's job it's ours right they already told us they don't give a fuck so it's our job to be like we're not going to use these products Mm -hmm. you know like you are, I am, you yeah. know, we're not yeah, going to use these products. It's seeping in, I think. Yeah. Yes, yeah, shift see, is happening. At least it in is. the music world, you don't see a musician without his own bottle these days. Yeah, you do, man. We, when every arts presenting organization I go to. Plastic bottles? No, with your own, like, it's, uh, the awareness is starting to seep in that people have their own water bottles and they're not plastic. Yeah, like we mostly have done for, like, (laughs) our entire existence. But the the point is, 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 you know, the the point is, is, like, some of these are small, some are small steps, like, that's small step to me. Like, I'm like, let's just all try, like, you know, you're not going to be perfect, you know, it took me a long time to get really, like, oh, every day you have to take this out, you know, but, like, um, 
we can do some of these small things and they and the incentive right has to be that then you get to have water yeah you know like that's it you don't get a prize you don't get anything you get to have water so that, that's I heard, <laughs> I heard something about them converting ocean water you get to keep have you heard of that yeah yeah they, yeah, they do that, that all over the world is that yeah. happening yeah yeah there's lots of parts of, of the world that water no yeah water scarcity scarcity on the earth is huge issue. but then it's what you're saying people are finding other solutions to fix the problem instead of doing what they really need to do to fix the problem it's just yeah. going that way we just can you know yeah contorting instead, instead of saving our water let's use the ocean water and that'll be the solution because that's going to disrupt something else, right. you know. So it's not, you can't, you can't hide. You can't hide from your trouble. Yeah. Do they put, flor- uh, have you heard about them putting fluoride in the water and all that stuff? So, like, uh. fog up your pineal gland? Dude, really? <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure there's an article about that somewhere. <laughs> I'm into Wait, the conspiracies. They- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, fluoride in the water is supposed to be, like, really bad for you. It's like a neuro- n- neurotoxin. Stuff like that. Oh, I don't know. I don't drink. I don't really drink. I don't drink that tap is, water. Do let me you? tell you. That's the podcast that you you got to get the expert on. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. that's <coughs> not you. That is not me. No, <laughs> I do. Do you drink tap water? Huh? Do you drink tap water or do you always I, use bottled it, water? Or no, we filter. We have a filter where I am now, but we tested our water like in a different places. Uh huh. So we had a house where the water was great. Oh, okay. We drank that all the time. It was right. awesome. I only drink tap. Yeah, that explains it. And then we, <laughs> <laughs> and then we drink tap water with a with a with a filter. And only in New York, not not elsewhere. New York water is awesome. Yeah. That's what I heard. It's beautiful. It's so me. good. Oh my god, yeah. it's so good. I love it. And I was um, I was somewhere. Where do you live now? I, I live mean, in Crown roughly, Heights. Yeah. 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 But my friends have a a place in Brewster, New York, uh-huh. and there's no filters of water. It's perfect. Yeah. It's, oh my God, it's so good. That's like Hudson Valley. Brewster? Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. It's beautiful there, but the reservoir is like right across the street. I want to learn how to like farm my own land and stuff like that. Become like a. You I know. feel like this podcast is is going <laughs> to tune in. You're going to have like a farmer with you. And a, We're diverse. We definitely. Yeah. We're equal opportunity offender. I feel like the water and the farmer are next. The water person and the farmer yeah. person. Book it, Ehud. I'm yeah. curious about your T-shirt. Oh, um, I like that. It's like a broken chain link. Is yeah. That right? um, What's that symbol? That's from uh, there's this this uh, you know Brian Stevenson. He's like a great um, attorney, and he made this museum um, in Alabama, and the museum is a uh, um, has a 
a really big um I don't even I don't I don't I wouldn't call it it, it has an art installation based on the amount of lynchings that happen in this country. Wow. Um, it's a very powerful place. And uh, and he, uh, so you can go there and you can learn about that and you can feel what that is. And I, I didn't get to go when they opened it. I was supposed to be there and had to do something else. And so my friend uh, Jackie went and she brought me back a t-shirt. That's nice. Yeah. 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 No, Brian's amazing. He's an amazing man. That's awesome. Yeah, he has... Um, What's that show called? Do you know? It's not a show. It's a museum. Oh, okay. Yeah. But there's there's a show based on the lynchings, or is that... It's always just that museum is always based on that. No, it has... It's like a, it's like a piece. It's oh, like okay. an art exhibit. It's like an art... Yeah, it's like a, you know... Oh, within... It's yeah. per- permanent installation, or... Yeah, it's... it's uh, oh, let me see. It's really... I haven't seen it yet, so I can't really tell you what I would what? feel seeing. The first time I ever saw Basquiat's work was in Alabama, actually at a museum in Alabama. My friend brought me there, and it was like, "Want to go to this museum?" And I was like, "Girl, I had a crush on." We were in we were in Atlanta. What were you doing in Alabama? I was in Atlanta, oh. and so Alabama was just a few hours away, and I was like. Uh, going to a museum, uh, you know, just seemed like that, so, yeah. that boring. But then when I, we walked in, it was bas- it was like a Basquiat show, and it was just like it blew my mind. It made me want to be a painter. This is uh, the Legacy Museum from enslavement to mass incarceration. The and Legacy then, Museum. Yeah. And what's and, and what's the uh, curator's the name? He's not the curator. He's made the whole museum. Oh, okay. What's Brian what's Stevenson? Brian Stevenson. Yeah. Okay. A lynching memorial is open. But you can just look him up and you'll see. Brian Stevenson, okay. So many amazing things. Cool. Yeah. I got to get down there. Where um, in Alabama is that? I don't want to say the wrong thing. Sorry, I'm making you Google. Yeah, you're making me because I want, <laughs> I want people to go to the right yeah. places. Yeah. Do you all have like a website for this? This podcast? Yeah. No. No, I'll go on Patreon. Pa- <laughs> Wait. <laughs> but support us on Patreon. Well, actually, you know. Uh, uh, Mon- Montgomery. Montgomery. Yeah. Montgomery, Alabama. Okay, Brian Stevenson. And, and name it. What's the name of it again? Sorry. So his organization is called EJI. Okay. And it's the Le- Legacy Museum. Legacy Museum. Mm-hmm. In Montgomery, Alabama. Cool. What's next for Toji Regan? Um, you know, theater, because these parables will be in some place in March. Is we already started. So we just came back from uh, Wyoming, from U Cross, Wyoming, which has a population of twenty five. And we <laughs> <laughs> did they all come to the show? <laughs> we didn't do a show. We oh. did a we had a residency to do you some double the town's population. <laughs> yeah. We didn't even double it. Tripled it. We had like nine people. Oh. Yeah, but well, it was really crazy. It's so rural. Um, like your cell service didn't really work, and your you know Wi-Fi didn't work. And no five G. No. It was like, my phone was like, 3G, maybe. Went and back to 3G. It was just like, <laughs> you know. Dialogue. People were sending me, they were like, can you approve can these you videos? And I was like, no, I can't. Like, they would just, 
they wouldn't download. You couldn't, you know, all of us were like, I was like, I'm going to put everything in a Dropbox. And then when I get mm. there, nothing. It was just, it was so humbling to realize like how far we had gone <laughs> towards mm-hmm. the cloud technology. I was like, let me get my, my stuff off of here. Um, off the cloud? Yeah, it's like, you know, I have it backed up and backed up and backed up. And then I'm like, no, you just need like to revert back to carrying something with you that can just, you know, like print some shit out and take it with you. Yeah. <laughs> it was so crazy. <laughs> we never could get the last, the latest script of the show, right? So I had some old ass script from the show on a, on my computer. And so we just used that. <laughs> it was hysterical. But it was beautiful. It was so beautiful. And it's such a great um, place. You can't do anything but be together and work. And we had a really good crew. And they were really nice there. So, But it was it was weird. It was just so rural. And it was like you didn't see anybody. If you saw three cars, you were like, oh, it was a traffic, traffic. jam. <laughs> yeah. And there was, no gross, there was no store, right? You're 16 miles to the nearest store. Uh-huh. You know, so you had to really think about like, oh, what did you want? And um, they had these two great chefs from Vermont who cooked for us. And um, yeah. Why did you guys go out there? We got offered this, the space. Like we, uh. you know, it's a two week, we were there for two weeks. And it was like a great way to just, you just Workshop. focus. It was nothing else happening. Yeah. You know, every, they had a rodeo and every once in a while somebody was like, yo, we should try to go to the rodeo. And I was like, okay. Did you yeah. go? Oh, hell no. Like it was, you were tired. I thought you were going to say, oh, hell yes. Me too. Like, nah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, how did you not go to the rodeo? <laughs> you know, all power to <laughs> rodeo people. <laughs> I, I did not really have the, uh, you know, the desire to go to the rodeo, but other right. people, I saw it, you know. <laughs> No shade, like that's your thing. <laughs> Sorry to go. That's back. the name of the next album. No desire for the rodeo. Yeah, right. <laughs> Sorry to go back to Parable. I know you have to leave soon. Yeah. Um, are you gonna put out an album of those yeah. songs and record it? Yeah, we already been recording. Okay. So, um, yeah, we're deciding between the end of this this year. That or would be a good way to get it out there. Yeah. Because it's hard to schedule somebody to go see it. Like somebody in New York that yeah. wants to either hear it or see it has yeah. to fly somewhere. Yeah, and people do. People fly from everywhere. When we opened it in, in North Carolina, people flew from all over. When we did it in St. Paul, people flew from all over. New York sold out too fast. But then we did it in Connecticut and people... F- like came from the whole area and we think when we do it in boston um i already know people from new york who are like i'm ready to buy my ticket so it's you know it's like i said it's a meeting ground it's um her work is so octavia's work is so important to people and how it's treated and and stuff people are very protective of it you know um so yeah people do come and check us out and you know tell us what they think so mostly good so i'm glad about that cool well thank you for coming on the podcast thank you for having me good luck with this thank you maybe vernon are you listening come on vernon they really want you over here bro (laughs) oh man we love vernon (laughs) vernon is everything put in a good word for us (laughs) vernon is everything yeah yeah Uh, peace thanks peace Thank you, guys. Thank you.
Hi, this is Joseph Arthur. Thanks for checking out Come to Where I'm From. Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash come to where I'm from. We are an independent podcast and any contributions you can make are greatly appreciated.